Hey everybody, Pastor Wilson here. Um, you know, I'm really loving the feedback that I'm receiving uh, about the podcast. I'm so glad that it is such a, a strength uh, to so many of you and that so many have already gone ahead and you're digging in your Bible and, and, it's, and it's becoming a good thing. From those I heard from, uh, it's really uh, been positive and encouraging feedback. And that's the idea. That's really the idea. I would spend here, I would take the time to, to do this even if it was really just for one of you. And really this just uh, is, uh, is so affirming to what uh, I've started here. So uh, I have been talking about Galatians. Remember, we did uh, chapter one. Actually, the one that says chapter one, part two, we did chapter one and a little bit of chapter two until uh, verse five of chapter two. So today what we're going to do is we're going to cover the whole of chapter two. And then in the next one, we were, we're going to cover chapter three and beyond. So that's really good. And I'm really uh, looking forward to today and tomorrow uh, when we actually do chapter three, because uh, chapter one and chapter two is, is, is Paul kind of setting that stage to say that I have authority to, to speak into this. <laughs> he, he's telling the guys, look, I'm not like the other guys who are just uh, coming up with things. I actually have authority and have been taught this by Jesus Christ. So in other words, I don't argue from the point of view that these other guys are doing it from. In fact, I'm, I'm arguing from a very authoritative uh, point of view. So, I, I mean, that for me it says, you know what, Paul is different, um, especially because he is sent as an apostle uh, of Christ, and he's very different in the way uh, that he comes to the subject matter. Because if God has revealed something to you, you are not like, like some of us that are just like learning it. Uh, secondhand from someone else, but in fact, uh, you have you have heard it firsthand from Christ Himself. And so, uh, let's just continue here about this. And I'm going to start from verse six in chapter two. It says, "And from those who seemed to be influential." Now, remember where 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 Paul is at this particular moment. It's been 17 years. He's gone up to Jerusalem. Uh, with Barnabas, and he's taking Titus along with him. And remember why he went, because he had a revelation, and he was going to confirm this with the people in, uh, or the apostles in Jerusalem. So he goes there with Barnabas and with Titus, and the whole idea is to confirm this revelation that he has had, to be sure that he has not run in vain. That's, that's, uh, he, he just wants to be sure that I am aligned with these guys, aren't I? And he even makes a point there that when he goes, that Titus, the Greek, is not even compelled to be circumcised. They don't even try to push circumcision on him. Because remember what the Judaizers are saying. You must first be Jewish before you can be Christian. That Christ came for the Jews. And this is their mentality. Christ is a Jewish Messiah. So he came for the Jews. And therefore, you first have to be Jewish before the Messiah can actually have come for you. So it, it, is, it is this mentality and idea that they have that Christ belongs to the Jews. And so in their understanding, you must first be Jewish. You must first follow the law. You must first be circumcised, have a sign of, of belonging to God before you can actually be Christian. Because, duh, 
the Christian, the, the Jewish Messiah came for Jews. And therefore, from there, you can then experience the salvation. So this is, this is of course, the thinking. And Paul is going there and, th- and saying that th- this is not true. This is not true. This is not what Christ said. He literally has the audacity to say that. He says that he speaks of what Christ has told him, not even what the apostles have told him that Christ has said. No, he's saying that this is what Jesus has told me. And in fact, after this 17 years, when he goes to confirm what uh, the, 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 the gospel that he has been taught or that he has been teaching, the whole idea of it and the whole reason he is doing this is because he is trying to confirm that, you know what, uh, Jesus has been talking to me 17 years down the road. Uh, so much he has said to me. And I'm just wondering, did he say the same to the other apostles. Uh, in other words, he's just trying to confirm that and saying, wait a minute, yeah, I, I, I need to, are these guys hearing the same thing as I am hearing? And he is about to do exactly that. So he says uh, in verse six that, and from those who seem to be influential or those who seem to be pillars in the church in Jerusalem, he says, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. In other words, he's still he still affirms that these guys were, were quite the leaders in, 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 in Jerusalem. But he says, you know what? It makes no difference to me because God shows no partiality. And what he reveals, the gospel he reveals to them is the same gospel he will reveal to me because Christ is one, of course. And then he says, those I say who seemed influential added nothing to me. Now, let me explain what he means by that. He's not arrogantly saying that, ah, those guys taught me nothing. I taught them stuff. No, that's not what he's saying. But he is saying that they added nothing new to him. In other words, he says, the gospel that I've been preaching 17 years down the road, ever since I was saved on that road to Damascus, the gospel that I am still preaching is exactly the same as the ones they're preaching. In fact, when I went to compare it to them, there's nothing that they added to what I have been preaching that I wasn't already preaching already. So that's what he means, that they added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel. You see, that's the thing. So they looked at him and they said, you have the gospel and you have been entrusted with the gospel. And they're like, yes, what you're preaching is what we're preaching. And just that affirmation uh, to him, he says, And when they saw that I've been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted to the gospel to the circumcised. So what he's saying is that these guys, the Judean leaders at that moment uh, for the Judean church, these guys, Peter was entrusted with the gospel to these guys, the Jews. And he looked at me and said, Man, you have the gospel, and it seems to you that Christ has trusted this gospel to you so that you may preach it to the uncircumcised, which is to the Gentiles, to anybody that's not a Jew. So they understood that the gospel is the same, and all they were saying is that Paul is supposed to speak it to the uncircumcised, Peter is supposed to take it to the circumcised. And then he says, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry which is Christ. He says, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And they are just seeing this this unity of thought. Peter's looking and looking that the one who is in me is the same one who's in Paul. I can tell you, Paul, 
that you have received the same Holy Spirit. You have received the same revelation. You have received the same truth. And they confirm that this truth is similar. So this beautiful thing is happening there, and they just are saying, well, this is so good. And when James and Cephas and John, Cephas is Peter, Cephas is, a, is, is, a, is his Aramaic name, Kepha. And what, what he is saying here is that James, uh, Peter, and John, who remember those three that were close to Jesus, who seem to be pillars, this is what he says as well, who seem to be pillars, in other words, these three, like I said uh, in the previous podcast, that these three were actually leading the church in Jerusalem, and they were leading together in, 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 in concert. And so he sees that these three who are there, they perceived the grace that was given to me. Then what they did is that they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. So in other words, they, they're like, man, go with our blessing. Go with, go with our, um, our stamp of approval on what you preach. They actually did this. So what, P, what Paul is trying to bring across is that, guys, even the gospel that I'm preaching to, I'm not just saying that I got it uh, from Christ alone and I am a lone ranger and I heard this alone. He says, no, even Peter, James and John, these three, they looked at what I was preaching and they come out and said, it's the same thing I'm doing. They came out and said, well, guy, you, you're preaching the same thing we're preaching. So the one who sent you must be the same one who sent us. And, and he sent you to the Gentiles. Well, uh, he's sending us to the Jews. And so they gave him this right hand of fellowship. They're like, you, you work over there. We work over here. They had confidence in Paul. And then he says that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised, they said, only they asked us to remember the poor, which was the very thing I was eager to do. And then verse 11, it says, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, right? So uh, Peter, Kepha, comes to Antioch and he says, I opposed him to his face. He says, there were times we actually were in disagreement here. And he says, because he stood condemned, and what was that all that about? He said, and by the way, the condemned here does not speak that he stood condemned to hell, but it just means he was in the wrong because Peter was in the wrong. For before, certain men came from James. So James, remember, like I told you, he's like the pastor in Jerusalem. And so uh, the, the church had different places of... Uh, of influence, if you would, the, 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 the places where, uh, I don't know if you want to say headquarters, but the church had different places, strongholds, uh, even in the early church at this particular moment. One stronghold was that one that was led by James, which is the same church where it began, where everything began, right, in the upper room in Jerusalem. And that one had its, its pastor or its... Um, its leader and overseer at that moment as James. That was the guy that was consistently there. In fact, um, the, 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 the people that would want, Peter seems to have left and went somewhere, then would come back, then would leave and do something else. But James was, was, was sort of the resident there. And um, John as well would help, but eventually John 
later on in his life became a pastor and a resident uh, overseer at Ephesus. So this is where John uh, spent most of his time and wrote all of his letters. They were all written from Ephesus because this is where he was pastoring and where uh, he actually wa was a leader and overseer. Over there, they were kind of like helping out, but James was like the leader in Jerusalem. So one stronghold was Jerusalem. Another one was Antioch. Another one was Antioch at that particular moment. And if you remember in the book of Acts, it says that uh, and Christians were first called Christians at Antioch because they, they looked at them and, and it was so prevalent. Christianity was so prevalent in Antioch, and they're like, who are these ones? They're the Christians, the, the, the ones that look like Christ. And so this is where uh, Paul is at the moment, which is Antioch. And while he's there, he says, Peter comes in from Jerusalem. Uh, and while he's there, he says, and he did something that was actually wrong, which I, was, I even opposed him face to face in front of everybody. And what he says is that, for before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself. Now, according to the law, you could not eat with a Gentile. A Jew was not to eat with a Gentile because it's like eating in an unworthy manner, if you would think of it that way. In other words, if we shared a meal together, we said that we have fellowship with each other. We said that we are, we are one. So a meal was more than just something that people share. It was something that symbolized uh, something. And so uh, he's eating with the Gentiles, but when people are coming in from James, fearing the circumcision party, and Peter, I don't know, he's probably thinking, well, let me be politically correct, because obviously he did not believe this in his heart. In other words, because he was eating with the Gentiles previously, but then he's looking at the circumcision party. He's thinking of the politics. I love what the ESV calls them. He calls them the circumcision party. And that's true because all he's doing here is playing politics. And so at this moment, you know, to try to not be offensive to these guys, he stops eating with the Gentiles that are over there. And he goes and eats with the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that Barnabas as well was led astray by their hypocrisy. This is what he says. So he says, the same guy that they gave us a right hand of fellowship with, which is Barnabas, at this moment, him and Peter are not even eating with the Gentiles. And the reason they're not doing this is because they're saying they're playing politics. They're saying, because these are the guys from the circumcision party, their belief system is that the Gentiles are not truly Christian. They're not truly Christian until they have first become Jews. So this is what they're saying. And so they're trying not to offend them. And they're like, well, uh, let us not eat in an unworthy manner while these guys are looking at us. But of course, once they leave, we can go and eat with the rest of the Gentiles as well. So of course, this is offensive. Uh, but when I saw their conduct, this is Paul. He says, I was not in step with the truth. Uh, when I saw that, that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. In other words, he is saying, but that is not the gospel. You may be playing politics, but that is not the gospel. According to the gospel of Christ, these people are as righteous as these people. These people, whether they have done any of the lawful good works, are as righteous as these other ones because they're both made righteous by Jesus Christ. And so he says, he says to, to Cephas, before them all, he speaks to, to Peter before them all and says, if you, 
though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew? How can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So he tells him that, Peter, listen, you are not obeying the law. You are not doing the good works in the law to justify you as right before God. You are not living by the law. And so if you're not living by the law, the list that is given by Moses for you to be in right standing with God, if you are not following that list, which is good works, if you would just put it, it's just good works. He says, Peter, this is not how you see yourself justified before God. You don't see yourself justified uh, to God by your good works. So therefore, why are you looking at all these other people and saying they're not justified? Why are you being carried along with this? He says, you live like a Gentile. If you live like a Gentile as a person who does not have the law, then why do you expect the Gentiles to live like Jews? And then verse 15, it says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Man, if you hear that, that should, that should do something to you. You see, <laughs> I remember what I used to believe. I used to believe that the only way to God, the only way to God, yes, is through Jesus Christ. But the way to stay in that way is to maintain my salvation by my good works. And I was thinking that the way to stay saved is so that, you know, I should do good works so that, hey, man, I, I, I need to maintain this thing. And what, what Peter is saying or what Paul is saying and what Peter actually believes, he's, he's not even saying that Peter doesn't believe this. No, he is saying that why are you forcing these guys to do this, yet you don't believe it yourself? He says, you being a Jew, you live like a Gentile. In other words, he's like, Peter, you're free. You're free from the law. You should tell these guys that you personally are also free, that you don't live according to this. I know that you want these guys to seem like you, you, you are pushing these guys to first be Jews, uh, to, to try to keep up a standard of the law. And remember what the standard of the law is. Folks, we're, we're not just talking about um, a grain offering. And we're not just talking about uh, circumcision. We're not just, we're, we're talking about do not murder. We're talking about, we're talking about all those things which are good. They are good. But those things are not salvific. In other words, they are not the things that save you. They are the things that show you're saved. You live that way to show that your faith that you have is actually salvific. And that's what James talks about. Uh, that, that's what James goes to pains to explain. That the type of faith that, that is just, ah, I believe in God. He says, well, demons have that type of faith. And they tremble before God. Duh, they know that God exists because they see him. But, they say, but he says that, that that's not the faith that saves. But the type of faith that saves, of course, is the faith that can be evidenced or that can be seen by the work of the person. In other words, uh, the, the whole argument of, of James is this, is that now that you've been made righteous, you will live righteously. It should become a second nature. In other words, the fact that you have believed and have been saved by faith should result in works. But those works are not what save you. Those works are actually characteristics of the faith that saved you. And this is, this is something that is never unclear. 
Never unclear in the scriptures. In fact, it is so pronounced all the way. Even John speaks the same thing. Even James speaks the same thing. Even Peter speaks the same thing. In all their letters and epistles, they speak the same thing. And that's exactly what Paul is saying here is that, guys, you believe this. And we know that. We know that. He doesn't say, uh, he's not preaching to them the gospel again anew because actually they had all agreed what the gospel was and uh, that they received from Jesus independently of each other. He says, and we all know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus. In other words, he is saying that, look, even though we were Jews, we also fell in this. We, we, we also walked in line and said, we believe in Christ Jesus for our salvation. We didn't say, well, I've been, I've been a Jew. I've been a good Jew doing good works for all my life. No, he says, no. When we saw Jesus, we realized that our good works are worth nothing. And so for us to be saved, we followed in the right path of salvation that Christ revealed to us. And what is that right path? We also believed in Christ Jesus in order, listen to that, in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. There is nothing as strong as that statement. In other words, he says, guys, you know this. You know that by trying to do good works, no one will be justified before God. By trying to do, oh, no one including us, we were trying to do good works so that we can be right with God. We grew up as Jews. We tried, We had the law of God. In fact, we were not just blindly trying to figure out what makes God happy. No, we knew it. We had a whole list. We had an idea of the things that would make us right before God. We had the whole list. But then when Christ came, we abandoned that list. And what we did is that we got justified simply by faith through Christ Jesus. In other words, I did not get justified by my works. So if I wasn't justified by my works, guys, why should I be looking at these guys and trying to get them justified before God by their works? So this is what, what Paul is fighting for here. And this is what the whole book, in the whole book of Galatians, this is what Paul is fighting for. And he's saying that we even came to faith to believe in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified. And we focused on this type of thing. And now, why is it that you are asking us to preach the same thing to this guy? In other words, what he is saying is that when I go to a sinner, I don't preach to a sinner, do good works. Nope, that's not what I preach. No. In fact, if I was a Jew, that's what I would preach. But when I come to a sinner, I preach to him one thing, have faith in Christ Jesus, and he will save you from your state of sin. And from that salvation from your state of sin, you will be made righteous before God completely. And because you are made righteous before God and turned around in your heart, you will therefore continue to do what is right. You will do it. You will do righteous deeds because you're righteous. You won't be trying to make righteous deeds, yet you are unrighteous on the inside. And this is what he is saying to these guys. He says, you cannot, you cannot merge the two. Our gospel to those who do not believe is simple. It is have faith in Christ Jesus. Our gospel is not do good so that you can be justified before God. 
That's not what our gospel is. And he's very clear about this. He's extremely clear here. Verse 17, he says, but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, remember, we are now being try, trying to be justified in Christ. This is what Paul is saying of all the apostles, of, of Peter. He's still speaking to them. Of Peter, of James, of those of the, of the circumcision party, of to Barnabas, everybody that's first a Jew. He says, guys, if we being Jews are also seeking to be justified through Christ, endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too are found to be sinners. Is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. But he says, for, for if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. In other words, what he says is, guys, we tore down this whole thing that we can actually be right before God by our good works. We, by, by coming to Christ and saying, I'm only being righteous before God through what you did. He says, we tore down. We, we, the, the, the whole thing of uh, justification by works, we tore it down. But then if we were trying to rebuild it back up for these Gentile guys, what do we prove ourselves as? As transgressors. As transgressors. In other words, there's a different standard for us and then for us to be saved. But when we go to someone else, we're saying, well, but the standard is your good works. You're this. You're that. This is what makes you right before God. And of course, this is untrue. And this, of course, makes absolutely no sense. And Paul looks at them and goes, no, if we do that, we're transgressors. We're not saved by works. How dare then we go to other people and try to get them justified before God by their good works? Man, if you get that, it will set you so free. He says, for if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. And what does he mean by that? He means that I am dead to the law. I am dead. I am no longer trying to follow this list of rules. I am dead to this and I am alive to God. I only live by God and by God alone. He says, I have, cru I, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. In other words, he says, I'm dead. I'm dead. To the law, I died. I am no longer bound to the law to try to please it because I am dead to it. I am so dead to it. I am no longer trying to live up to the list of, li of requirements and live up to the list to make myself right before God. No, I'm dead to that. And he said, but now the life that I live, I live by faith. Sure, I live by faith in the Son of God. In other words, I am now being justified. I am alive because I believe in Christ Jesus, not because I have been doing what is right. I am justified before God, not because I do or follow every single thing that the list of requirements that says this is good, this is good, this is good, this is good, this is good. And the list of requirements isn't lying by saying that those things are good. No, but what the list of requirement is, is that, that those things, can never, I can never observe them, and I can never be justified by them, but by my good works to God. I can only be justified by Christ Jesus. And of course, uh, I'll get to that in just a little bit. But then he says, um, I've been crucified with Christ, and, and I, live by, I live by faith in the Son of God. Others say, I live by the faithfulness of the Son of God. Sure, 
That's actually something else. In other words, that I am alive because Christ himself is faithful, not because I have been faithful to him, but, uh, but that Christ himself has been faithful. And because he is faithful, he is my requirement of faithfulness is put in him. And he has already been faithful on my behalf. And man, that, that, that's incredibly freeing. In other words, you do not come to God feeling like uh, you, you are owing God some kind of good deed. But what it is is that it's already covered in Christ. And what you are doing is you are living from who God has already made you. And you are living right before God. And then he says this. He says, uh, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. I need for you to hear Paul here so clearly. Because Paul could have not made a stronger point. What he says here is if that list of good works and requirements that God had given to me, if those were good enough to get me saved, if those things, if, if, if righteousness was through that law, then Christ died for no reason at all. Christ died for no reason at all. No reason. Because he says, if that was good enough to get me right with God, then why did Jesus die? Why, why did he do all that? I mean, if my good works were good enough to get me right with God, what was Jesus doing? <laughs> like, why, why, why the drama? Why die? Why the drama? Like, like, seriously, we have the law and we know how to get right with God. Why are you dying? Jesus, why? And the book of Romans puts it this way. It says that when Christ Jesus died, he became sin for us, right? Uh, well, actually, this is, this is what we're going to look at a little bit later here. But in other words, what, what, what Jesus became is that he took on our sin. He took on everything that I have ever done wrong, and he paid the penalty for it. And what he did is then he took off his own nature, which is righteousness. And he credited, he uses an accounting term in, in, uh, in Romans. And he says, and it was credited to us. In other words, it is not something earned. It is not something you could have done anything to receive. It, it, is just, it just comes straight from him. In other words, I come to Christ with my sinfulness and give it to him. He pays everything. Everything I owe in my sin, of all my sins, all my sins, he pays for them all. And then at the end, he takes his own righteousness and he credits it and he gives it to me. In other words, he makes me righteous freely. And that's what Paul means. We've been justified freely by his grace. We will see that a little bit later on. But in essence, that's exactly what Paul is saying. He's saying, we have been justified freely, freely by grace. And so he says, wait a minute. If therefore justification could come through the law, then Jesus' death was useless. 
Jesus' death was just this dramatic thing that, that had no, no, <laughs> no point at all. And to the people that insist in this way, then why do you need Jesus to die? But the only reason that Jesus' death makes any sense is because he takes on our sin, that we cannot pay ourselves. And then what he says is that I will pay for it, and then what I will give you in return is my righteousness. So therefore, you come before God as righteous. You come before God as without spot or wrinkle. You come before God completely made holy. And you think about that, man, that, that's incredible. That means every single thing, that every single sin is removed, and he has removed it from me. The, in fact, in, to, the, to the Romans, uh, Paul puts it this way. He says, blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not charge with sin. Whoa, that is incredible. He says, blessed is the man whom the Lord shall not charge with sin. That's an incredible statement. And the reason that the Lord shall not charge you with sin is because your sin was paid for, is because your sin was dealt with, is because your sin before God, Jesus has done all the paying, all the, all the propitiating, all the anything that will be necessary for you to be right with God. Jesus has done all that. And you come before God having been made righteous by God, by Christ Jesus for free. And for you, when you are standing there and you are trying to be made righteous through the law, is you're missing the whole point. You see, the whole point that you're missing there is that you're thinking that I could somehow be made righteous by adding more righteous works to me. That is to undermine what Christ has done in your life. If you think that you could be more righteous than the righteousness of God, good luck. Because there is none who is as righteous as God. But if you've received the righteousness of God through faith freely, that means that you can't be made more righteous by your good works. Your good works don't make you more righteous. No, they don't. But your good works are only an expression of the fact that you have been made righteous. Man, when we get to chapter 5, we're going to be talking about good works and how they relate to faith so much more so that you get the freedom in it. In other words, there, there is no freedom for you to sin in the new covenant. In other words, there, there is no, the, the apostles never say it's okay for you to sin. Never, never. In fact, they say that if you are living in sin, you need to be worried that you're actually not even justified. But what they are saying here is that they are saying, wait, but do not get it mixed up because it is not your good works that justify you before God. I do not ever make that mistake. Do not ever make that mistake. What it is that justifies you before the Father is Christ Jesus freely, freely, not combined with anything else, but freely. Man, I hope that this has been a blessing to you. Um, I'm going to be talking a bit more on this in chapter three, we're going to be taking a look at it, and it's, it's going to be setting you free. I, I hope that it's already starting to mess with some of your things that you held dear, uh, some of your things that, and I hope you're getting more questions even at this time, and I think, and I believe that, especially when we get to chapter five, um, we will be just clearly just ironing out all those questions that you might have. 
But man, may God bless you and may the word just become alive to you and may you just be encouraged, encouraged, encouraged deeply that you are made righteous before God freely. If you're a believer, if you have put your faith in Christ Jesus, then you are made righteous freely through Jesus Christ. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to deserve it. It is something that is given for free to you. And it is, it is the way that every single one of us is justified. You know, sometimes we want to put, like Paul, uh, I mean like Peter and, the, and Barnabas and the other Judaizers and the circumcision crew, we want to go to people and we want to make their standard of salvation higher than ours. While your standard of salvation is faith in Jesus Christ, free justification, justified freely. Faith in Jesus Christ equals you're justified freely. And what we want to do is to say faith in Jesus Christ plus uh, those works, then you will be justified freely. We want to do what Peter and the circumcision crew was doing. Isn't this, this is so, this is so uh, typical of what we do sometimes as Christians is that we want people to be, just, to be justified before God, not just by faith like we were, but we want them to be justified by works. And the reason that we preach this is because we think we are justified by our works and we have forgotten the blood that has sanctified us, like Peter says. We have forgotten what Christ Jesus paid for us. And so therefore, because we've forgotten this, we, may, we, may, we put this compulsion on other people that they too need to be adding to their faith works so that they are actually made right before the Father. Let me tell you something. There is nothing to make you right before God except faith in Christ Jesus alone. Man, I hope that this blessed you. I hope that this has encouraged you. Uh, we will be getting into chapter 3 in the next episode, and I hope that this will just encourage you further in your relationship with God. May God bless you. This is Pastor Wilson. Remember, subscribe so that you may receive, that you may receive uh, alerts every single time an episode comes out. I am releasing quite frequently, especially so that we go through this book of Galatians. And subscribe and do that. And of course, you can get me on, on Facebook. Uh, just search for Wilson Mohanyan. You can then ask me questions there uh, because podcast, you read, I'm speaking at you. <laughs> you, you. You really can't speak back. But you can ask the questions and I would actually love for you to ask those questions and then I will address them as I go. Uh, because you never know. It might be something that I forgot to address or man, it may be something I don't even know. And you know what? Even if I don't even know it, I'll come out and say, I do not know. I do not know. I do not know what the answer to this is. So, because I don't know everything and he has not given me all knowledge. Uh, but nonetheless, I hope that this has been a blessing to you. See you in the next episode.